0: Well, surprisingly, we find ourselves at the end of another year, and Lord willing, tomorrow is just going to be any other day in many ways. But I, I think that we're given certain days like this as reminders of the fact that the short life we have here is passing away, um, as the Psalm says, the sands of time are sinking. And they're sinking quickly. And so we need to take great care to consider if and how we are seeking the Lord. That's what it says in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And that same passage goes on to remind us that God's thoughts and his ways are infinitely higher than ours. But we have a promise today concerning the word which goes forth from the mouth of God. For God says there in Isaiah 55 that this word will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So let's hear this morning the word of God. For us today, which will accomplish the will of God, a word which will succeed in the life of the Christian. We have that as a promise. So turn with me, if you would, to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11. And we'll read verses 1 through 13 It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight, and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, in this section we see that Jesus is praying and a disciple asks Jesus to teach him how to pray. And then Jesus gives the famous Lord's Prayer that we know so well. And then Jesus asks the disciples to consider their relationship to a hypothetical friend. And the disciple goes to the friend at a very inconvenient time, at midnight, and asks his friend to lend him three loaves of bread in order to feed some company that he has. So Jesus is painting somewhat of an urgent, uh, awkward situation a visitor has come to the house, and there is no food to set before him. The guest evidently has come unexpectedly. So what is the host to do? Well, he can't very well go to a shop and buy bread because no shops are open. So money that he has is of absolutely no use to him at all. So what can he do? He's in a desperate situation. The only thing he can do is go outside into the night to the house of a friend that he has and ask him for bread at midnight. So that's what he does. He goes to his friend's house and he calls to him from outside, but the friend responds, Don't trouble me. Don't bother me. It's late. My house is locked up. Children and I are in bed, and I am not able to get up and give you anything. So, Jesus asked the disciples to imagine themselves in that situation, and we should do the same. It's an embarrassing situation. You have a guest, he's come from a long journey, he's hungry, it's bad enough that you weren't prepared as the host, and now you've woken up your other friend out of sleep, and he basically has told you to go away. But remember the context here. Jesus is praying, and he's teaching his disciples to pray. And he has them consider what it is like asking a friend for a favor at midnight. And then Jesus gives us something that is striking, I think. What happens next in the story? The man is laying in bed. He doesn't want to get up. It's a lot of trouble to get up out of bed in the night, to get bread without waking up the house, to unlock the house, to give the bread to the friend waiting for him outside to lock the house up again to get back in bed without waking up the house and try to go back to sleep. All that is a lot of trouble. But what do we see in verse 8? I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, he will not get up on account that it is his friend waiting for him outside in this desperate position. The man in bed does not pause to consider the status of his relationship with the man outside. What does it say? I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So the two men are friends, but that in and of itself is not the reason that the request is granted. So how is it ultimately that the man ends up walking home carrying the bread that he needs with him? And the reason is persistence. Or literally, in the Greek, it is without shame. It was without embarrassment that the man woke up His friend at midnight. It was without shame that he begged him for the bread and that he refused to leave until he had what he needed. So, what's this all about? This is the story of the Christian in prayer. This is what it is to ask God. And the striking thing is that the emphasis here is not God answering the prayer of the Christian but that God answers the prayer of the persistent Christian who is unashamedly asking God for more of his Holy Spirit. And Christ goes on to remind us that if even evil men give good gifts to their children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, we know... that the only one who has confidence to come to God in prayer is the Christian, that outside of Jesus Christ, no one can come near to God. You remember Mount Sinai, how the people could not even touch the border of the mountain because God had come down in that place, that if the people came near, it says that the Lord would break forth upon them It was a fearful thing, and the people could not come near to worship God. There was what's called a mercy seat, or a propitiatory seat, a seat of satisfaction, if you remember, that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. But where was the Ark? It was within the veil, right? It was separate from the people, in the Holy of Holies. There was no confidence to enter The presence of God. It was a fearful thing, a dreadful thing to enter into the presence of God. But because of Jesus Christ, it is completely different. We have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. What does it say in Hebrews? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. We have strong encouragement to take hold of God and Jesus Christ and to come within the veil. We can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. So what we see, again, in Luke, is in this story of the man at midnight, we have the essence of Christian prayer. This means that the Christian comes to God in confidence, knowing that his request will be granted. And it's granted because of persistence, So the man had access to his friend at any time, right? But he would not have had bread unless he had come to his friend. We have access to God, but if we do not come to him, we don't have bread. The man was given bread not because he was his friend, but because of his persistence. And I think this is terribly important because what Christ is doing here, I think, is he's doing away completely with a magical view of prayer, right? That prayer is an incantation, that you can just mouth some words to God and it's going to be done. Christ is teaching us here that prayer is not effective unless it is shamelessly persistent. Remember again that all this is given in the context of the Lord's prayer, and the man here is asking and asking And asking. And because of his importunity, his request is granted. So look at verse 9. Christ says in response to this story So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. You see the redundancy there. Ask, seek, knock. What is he saying? He's saying he's asking and asking and asking, and he keep, and he's, he's keeping on in his requests. Verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. God gives himself to those who persistently ask. That's one thing here. The other thing is that God gives his spirit to everyone who persistently asks. If we look at this and contrast what it was like in terms of the Israelites and their relationship to God and what worship was then, this is inexpressible. God is saying that he is going to give himself to any person who persistently asks him. Everyone who asks receives well the world looks at this this story of this man at midnight and looks at it as something extreme as something excessive something inconvenient i mean surely the man could have waited until morning to ask his friend for bed bread right very few people die from a 12-hour fast are we going to seek god and ask of god as this man did persistently At midnight, do we beg God that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done in earth as it is in heaven? Do we beg him to give us our daily bread? Do we persist in asking that we would be clean of sin in any form, that we would be delivered from trials and temptations in the world? Do we ask God for more of his Holy Spirit? Christ tells us to pray these things and to keep praying for them. According to this passage here, the reason that Christians don't have more of God is because they do not ask for more of God. This passage is not for the lost man, right? Christ is talking to his disciples, and we are commanded here to always ask God for more of himself. So why don't we do it? The way is open. Well, one reason is because we don't feel that we need to. We feel self-confident at times, and I think in many cases in life, decisions that we come to just seem so obvious that we don't feel we need to ask God. And this is a very great danger. And one example of that, you don't need to turn there, but it's in Joshua chapter 9. God had already commanded Israel that they should not make any covenant with any neighboring nation. And you remember the story of the Gibeonites. What did they do? They acted craftily. They put on worn-out clothing and old sandals and they took stale bread with them and they made it look to Joshua and the leaders of Israel that they were from a distant place and they asked them to make a covenant with them well what does Joshua do what did the leaders do well there wasn't much to do I mean it was so obvious right that these people looked like they had come from a distant country and they were they were harmless so they made a covenant of peace with them it says that the men of Israel Did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They neglected to ask God. They didn't think it was necessary because it seemed so clear what they should do. Well, only three days later, they discover that the Gibeonites are their neighbors. But it was too late because, in their haste, they had forgotten to ask God. So they were bound to the Gibeonites what happens well shortly after that five kingdoms attack the gibeonites because they were a royal city it says and joshua is pulled into a war to defend them if we go on in the history you find that king saul tries to annihilate the gibeonites because they were living there you know with israel So they were causing evidently some problem. So Saul tries to exterminate them. And because Saul had violated the covenant that Joshua had made with the Gibeonites, God sends a three-year famine to the land. And as a result of that, it ends up that in the end, seven men out of Saul's house are killed to make recompense, to atone for the death of the Gibeonites. So all this mess had come about, years of recourse here, because these men did not seek God. So even when the choice seems obvious, we should never neglect to ask God. Well, another reason that we neglect to ask God in prayer <clears throat> is that we feel that we have already received what we need from man. And I think that this danger is indirectly addressed by Christ in the parable of the unrighteous judge. Maybe we should just turn there real quickly to Luke 18 because it's short. So Luke 18 at the beginning of the chapter, and now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she'll wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So a woman comes to this judge for legal protection. The judge doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man at all. But because she is persistent in bothering him, the judge grants the widow protection in order to get her off of his back. Right? Now, that's not God's position. God doesn't answer us in prayer in order to get rid of us. We are called to cast our burden upon the Lord. What David says in the Psalms there that he loves the Lord because he has inclined his ear to him. But I think the emphasis in this parable is that if even evil men can be pressed to do what is right, how much more will God quickly bring about what is just for his elect who persist in crying to him day and night? So one thing you could gain from this parable is that our continual confidence toward God in prayer should never compare to any confidence we put in man. So God keep us from merely going to other men with our problems and concerns and seeking a solution from them. Well, so far we've discussed three different groups of people. <clears throat> One is the sort of person who is persistently confidently seeking God in prayer he will not apologize for coming to God in any condition for any issue and this is the healthy Christian then we've talked about a person who seeks God in prayer but not persistently as it was with Israel and this type of person may trust in himself too much at times he may act hastily at times, and instead of seeking God uh, when the solution seems obvious, he trusts in himself and in his own judgment. Again, I, I can't get past the fact that if only Israel had waited just three days, a war would be, have been avoided, a drought would have been avoided, and the death of other men would have all been avoided <clears throat> if they had just sought the Lord. Surely God would have kept them from disobeying him, but they didn't. They didn't seek him. Well, the third group of people involves those who know that they're helpless, just like this woman, this widow that we read in Luke 18. She knew she was helpless, and so many other people know that they are. Self-confidence is not their problem. Well, they may pray occasionally, but this sort of person is overly confident in the system of the world and looking to other men for help. So their confidence in the unrighteous judge is misplaced. Well, there is still a fourth type of person when it comes to prayer. And this sort of person does not pray at all. He doesn't forget to pray. That's not the problem. He doesn't want to pray. This person is in rebellion against God. He is against God. He makes plans as he wishes, when he wishes, how he wishes. God is not in any of his thoughts. And this sort of person is mentioned in Isaiah 30 when it says, "Woe." To the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine and make an alliance but not of my spirit. See, they have plans, they have tools, they have instruments all arranged, but God has absolutely nothing to do with what they're accomplishing. They proceed to egypt without consulting me or in psalm 10 we find that the wicked and the haughtiness of his confidence does not seek god god is in none of his thoughts will god have mercy if you are such a person well what can we say about these things god keep us from being rebellious God keep us from looking to other men rather than looking to God. God forgive us for being self-confident at times and neglecting to prayer. God give us a persistent, prayerful heart that asks and seeks and knocks until we are filled with, with all the fullness of God and his Holy Spirit. I would say that if you should resolve to do anything, it should be to daily, persistently seek God in prayer. If you should resolve to be anything, it should be to be a man or a woman of prayer. Today... Is December 31st, 2017. It is as good a day as any to determine in your heart to seek God diligently in prayer. If God is your friend, you will ask Him. Don't test the Lord on this, He can bring trials into our lives very easily. That will force us on our knees every moment. Instead of trying the Lord, let's heed the words of Scripture here that we've heard. What does it say? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with us freely give us all things? The way is open. All things are ours in Jesus Christ. What does Christ say to us in the passage we read in Luke 11? So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. May the words in James never be said of us that we have not because we ask not.